You're listening to the PFWC podcast with me, Carly Compton, a podcast created to help you learn strategies to overcome that bully inside your head, ways to practice self-love, awareness and understanding of eating disorders, how to embrace the body you have been given and develop a healthy relationship with food, exercise, and most importantly, yourself. Here at the PFWC podcast, we find it important to create a safe space and a place for individuals to come to learn how to create that lifestyle that works for them. We're dropping comparisons, fighting unrealistic beauty standards, and coming together to show the world that all bodies are beautiful and that healthy looks different on everyone. Sit back, relax, and get ready to grow together. Before we get into today's episode, I want to quickly give a trigger warning as we will be discussing topics such as eating disorders, disordered eating, anxiety, and depression. And if these are topics that are difficult for you to listen to right now, I highly recommend checking out our list of other available episodes and hopefully there you can find a conversation that best supports you in whatever stage of life you are currently in. Other than that, I hope that you enjoyed today's episode or whatever episode you choose to listen to. And if you have a little bit of extra time, I would really appreciate it if you could leave a rating and a review. Not only is this helpful in allowing the podcast to get out to other people, but it allows me to see what sort of topics and conversations you all are interested in and want to see more of. Now, here is today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the PFWC podcast. I am extremely excited for today's episode. Um, I'm sitting down with my good friend, Victoria Garrick. Um, Well, I don't know if we're good friends, but I've looked up to her for so long. Um, She's someone I've been following on social media for quite some time. um, And her mission and everything that she talks about just resonates so close to home for me. And so um, let's go ahead and welcome Victoria. Hi, Victoria. Hi, Carly. Thanks for having me. And it's okay. I get that all the time. People who follow me are like, I feel like you're my sister. I feel like I know you. That's just what happens because I, I share more online than like literally with my friends. So we are besties, babe. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like that. Yeah. You're like a virtual best friend. And I feel (laughs) that with so many people, especially with COVID, I feel like there's so many people online who I'm like, I feel like we're best friends, but we've just, we've never met, but that connection is just so strong. So I'm so excited to have you. Um, So to start us off, Victoria, do you mind just sharing a little bit about yourself? Of course. So I am 24. I live in LA and I create content and I speak and all of my work is centered around mental health and body image and disordered eating because those are things that I went through myself. And so I, you know, hope to have those conversations at a larger level to normalize them and help people overall feel less alone and lost than I did when I was going through that. Yeah. And I think that's why I was so drawn to your content um, because I relate so much to a lot of the things that you talk about. And I think that's the reality for a lot of people. Um, a lot of women specifically and girls who are in that place where they're really struggling with their body image. Um, and, I feel like for such a long time, these conversations weren't had. 
and we weren't seeing people like yourself sharing, you know, these normal things that we have on our bodies that for so long we've been told are our flaws and that we need to get rid of. Um, and so I think that it's so refreshing to see your, your content and what you're putting out there and you sharing your story. Um, so I want to kind of quickly talk about, um, something that you're, you know, known for and something that you talk about a lot is you have been an athlete for pretty much your entire life. Um, and you talk a lot about mental health within athletes, which I think is so important, um, as someone who's been an athlete, who never really had that support mentally in, in the sport. Um, do you want to share a little bit about, um, you know, your relationship with volleyball and kind of how you got to that place where you're like, oh, I think something's going on mentally and I might need a little extra support here. Definitely. So I started playing volleyball in middle school and quickly became very competitive and focused on it. And then during high school is when I realized I could play at that next level and so once I'll skip the recruiting story because it's it, all that stuff is boring, I'm sure, as you guys know, <laughs> but I ended up playing volleyball at USC in LA and it was awesome and such a dream come true, but it was a huge step up for, from high school as it is usually for most all athletes, you know, especially at that division one SC level, you're playing for a national championship and every time you touch the ball counts and it matters. And so I just quickly felt that pressure and it was a greater pressure than I'd ever experienced before. And I just wasn't prepared to handle it. Mm -hmm. And so I started to experience performance anxiety and then that led to depression. Um, and then those two things together, uh, fed into body image issues that I already had. So kind of just entering a lifestyle where the demand both academically and athletically and socially, I put that on myself was so high. I just, I wasn't able to manage it. I didn't know how to manage it. And that's really when my mental health took a turn. Yeah. Do you remember like a specific moment where you were like, uh, this isn't good mentally. I'm struggling many, many moments. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think my freshman year for sure was the weirdest or scariest for me because I noticed that I was different and I was anxious and I was worried to play and I couldn't sleep and I couldn't play the same, but I didn't really know what was going on because when you experience anxiety or a panic attack or depression for the first time, it's hard to catch it. It seems to sneak into your normal patterns. And then also I didn't realize that I could have those problems. I feel like with, you know, my parents that loved me and were married and with the ability to play at a school like this and, you know, have the things I wanted on paper, I thought that that made me, and also being an athlete and being regarded as strong and all that stuff my whole life, I think I thought that that meant I was immune. And obviously that's an extremely privileged way of thinking. Um, it was. Mm -hmm. And so when I started to experience anxiety and depression, I wasn't able to notice it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like that is so normal for so many people. Um, I like, kind of like you said, especially in athletes who, 
have been seen and told for so long, like you're so strong physically and mentally, um, or push through it or, you know, all about like the hustle and the grind and all of that stuff. I think it's hard for people to kind of pinpoint, oh, I think this actually is a problem and not just, oh, can I push through this? Or maybe it's just a phase. Um, so I think that having these conversations is so important because it allows athletes to understand, no, this isn't normal. No, this isn't something that I have to suffer through or just push through. And it really is something that, you know, we are all deserving of talking about and getting that support in. Definitely. I I totally agree with that. Yeah. Do you feel like, so, um, I know you've mentioned before your struggles with an eating disorder and disordered eating. Um, and so I'm curious kind of where you were in that when you went, when you started college, um, was that something that was kind of really prominent in your life at that time? Or was, do you feel like it wasn't going into college? I definitely had problems with food and looking back, it was definitely disordered eating at that time. However, when I was 17, 16, 16, 17, 18, I thought I was just normal. I thought, you know, every girl diets, every girl obsesses over these things. Every girl counts their calories. I was wrong. You know, that's not a healthy relationship with food. So one thing that's been weird for me is looking back and realizing how my problems with food and body image started way before college, but I didn't realize it until they got really severe. And so then at college, you know, everything got worse. And then I really developed um, an unhealthy relationship with food, which was, you know, the cycle of restriction and binge eating. And that's when I was like, oh, I have a problem with food. Obviously now knowing what I know now, the conversations I've had, the research I've done, I'm able to say, you know, this was budding for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that that was the case with me as well, all through middle school and high school, I would say like my um, struggles with my body started in middle school and then developing these sort of habits that I saw, like my mom partaking in that I just thought was normal. Um, and then into high school and developing an eating disorder. And still, even at that point when my eating disorder was at its worst in my head, I thought, this is just, this is normal. This is just what women do. This is what women go through. Like as women, we're always trying to lose weight or change our bodies or whatnot. Um, and I think that can be super toxic for a lot of people. Um, because as we were talking about a little bit before this normalization around disordered eating and eating disorders. Um, so with that, how were, how did you find yourself balancing disordered eat the disordered eating and the anxiety and the depression, if you even were balancing it, (laughs) I was going to say not well at all. They all weirdly like tied together. You know, I was trying to restrict and lose weight because I wanted to be thinner. Mm -hmm. And then I would be super hungry and anxious. And then food was there as a coping mechanism. And then I wanted to restrict because I had broke my diet. And so, you know, the anxiety and the binge eating really went hand in hand, like they Mm -hmm. linked arms and walked me farther into a black hole. And then dealing with those two things for a year really wrecked me mentally. And then that's why my sophomore year, I had hit that rock bottom place of depression. Mm -hmm. So my mental health issues definitely 
were intertwined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, again, I feel like that's so normal. Same thing with me. Um, I feel like they all just played a role in one another. They all like supported each other in some way. Um, and I also think it goes back to that idea of like being able to distinguish, like, what is it that I'm actually experiencing? Is it this, is it this, um, which can make it really difficult, um, to get that support. Um, so when you were in that space, what support did you have at school? Well, for the first, you know, while that AK, my first freshman year, I didn't want to seek support. I didn't even realize that was a thing because I just thought I had let something go off the rails. I wasn't able to figure something out. I very much blamed it on me. I'm someone who likes to get things done and I'm accomplished and determined and I find a way. And so I was adamant about doing that myself. And I didn't kind of want to reveal to anyone that there was a problem going on. And then once it got to a point where I was like, okay, we've tried to do this for over a year now and we're only getting worse and you clearly don't have the answer. You know, that's when I was like, I'm helpless. And it was keep going in this direction, which wasn't healthy. You know, I was having those scary thoughts about what it would be like to not have to continue on with my day, to not have to live my life. And that was a huge red flag for me of, okay, I would rather admit weakness or raise the white flag than keep going down this path because now I'm, I'm frightened. Um, And of course, once I like sought that help, I realized there's nothing weak about that. You know, it Mm -hmm. takes so much strength and I, my mindset has changed completely, but at the time it was really difficult to reach out for support. Fortunately Mm -hmm. though, when I did, I was at a school where they were able to help me Mm -hmm. um, in all the ways that I needed, which also is a privilege that many people don't have, especially when it comes to mental health. So that's even more of the reason why now um, I want to keep having this conversation and I want to try to help encourage like actionable change, you know, especially with the hidden opponent, the nonprofit um, that I founded, try to find ways so that I don't have to say, oh yeah, that was unique for me that hopefully we can get to a place where I'm like anyone who needs help can, can have that help. Um, It's scary. And it's sad to think about people who do reach out for help and they climb that hill and they have that conversation or that they make that phone call. And then they're just told, we can't or not for the next month or you can't afford it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's something that I've seen firsthand in I'm getting my master's right now and I am working with high school students, um, in the mental health field. And that has been so frustrating for me is connecting them with resources and then having these resources come back to us and saying they don't have the right insurance. They can't afford it we don't have space. It's not bad enough. Like all of these really messed up reasons as to why these students, high school students can't get support. Um, and I think I love that you were able to create that nonprofit to then have that conversation and change that narrative around the idea that it shouldn't matter what someone's socioeconomic status is. It shouldn't matter what someone's race or gender or ethnicity is like, we all deserve that space to get that help and that support. Um, 
And so I'm curious, was mental health something that was talked a lot about in your family growing up? Or was it kind of like a taboo thing and something new for you when you started to experience it? That's an interesting question. Um, well, obviously I feel like people, have, that's a question that people have heard before, but I don't think I've ever actually had someone ask me that. Um, I, it wasn't taboo. Um, I certainly felt like I could share my emotions with mm-hmm. my parents. You know, my mom, I don't know how many times I cried in a dressing room with my mom because I hated my body when I was young, you know, so mm-hmm. it wasn't like I wasn't able to share that with them. Um, but I think like anxiety and depression as not just emotions, right? People get nervous and people get sad, but as actual diagnosed issues, no one in my family, to my knowledge at the time had had that. And so it wasn't a conversation we had. So I wasn't really prepared. Um, and then when it did start happening to me, you know, of course your parents like are just not in denial, but they're confused because they're like, you work so hard. You have everything you want. We're watching you on TV and you're smiling on the court and, you know, this is everything you worked for, you know? And so I think there is that disconnect of like, well, this doesn't make sense. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, my parents were obviously so supportive. Like when they find, when they understood how bad it was, there was no minimizing my emotions, thankfully, or not supporting me. They were extremely supportive. Um, and now, I mean, my, the way my whole family talks about mental health, and I don't think that's because of me. I think that's just because the times have changed in a good way. You know, mm-hmm. my mom, my dad, we all, my brothers, we're all talking about these things and not even just like anxiety and depression, but like, um, purpose, meaning, um, self-awareness. Like I would say my family, if anything, can't have a surface level conversation, which makes like dinners and stuff hard. (laughs) Yeah, I totally get that. I feel like the reason I asked is because I think a lot of times when we have this negative, um, negative image of like therapy or, or support, um, in my case, at least I had this like negative view of therapy because in my family, that's kind of just like how I was raised and like therapy made you kind of quote unquote weak, or, you know, you only went to therapy if something was really bad or something like you were just in a really bad mental space. Um, and so I was just curious, like if that was something that was part of your life growing up. Um, but it sounds like you were raised in a very healthy household, which is amazing. Um, And I think now being able to have that conversation with your family is even more amazing. Um, Because I know for a lot of people, that's not the case. Um, My parents still, I feel like, kind of ignore certain things. And Really? Like what? Like, I mean, I feel like my parents aren't the type of people to to really dive into their emotions. And I feel like for me, I'm always having to, like, prod them for, for, like, any sort of emotion. The therapist in me is like, okay, mom, well, why are you feeling that way? And she's like, I don't know. I just am. And I'm like, that's not a good answer. (laughs) There's a reason why. Um, yeah. And so I think, oh, go ahead. 
I was just going to say, I think being able to have that conversation with your parents, that generation um, is just as powerful as having that conversation with our generation, because having that support of your parents and even just having those converse, them having those conversations is really powerful. And that's one of the hard parts about, I think the inner journey and healing is not everyone in your life is on the same page. And, you know, I've had to learn that you can't make someone want to do something or understand something if they don't. Mm -hmm. And you also shouldn't be trying to control others. I mean, you can only know what you know and use that to help guide you in your own relationships and how you react to people and how you show up for people. Um, but it can definitely be tough, uh, to have that disconnect with people that you love. And I've had, like, I fortunately, like I'm able to have those conversations with my parents, but I definitely know friends who, it's almost like they break through to that next level emotionally. And it just makes it really hard to keep connecting when the patterns or, um, you know, emotional, uh, I guess I would say the emotional patterns of people that they have relationships with are just still the same and still toxic and still riding in circles. And, you know, it's hard. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And I had that with, you know, I had that sort of experience with my mom when I was in my eating disorder. Um, and I think a lot of that, like, God bless her. She's the most amazing woman ever. And she would never do anything to hurt me or my sisters or anything like that. But I think it was just like the generation that she was raised in, like dieting and restriction and all of these things were just so normal for her that when I told her, Hey mom, I'm experiencing this. It was kind of her reaction was like, okay. (laughs) Or like, Oh, okay. So what do you need from me? Um, and so then having just normalizing that conversation with her about the way that I was feeling and the way that my relationship with food looked like, and my relationship with exercise looked like, and I think me openly talking about those things, it's kind of like flipped a switch in her brain thankfully now where she, I can see like her relationship with food and her relationship with her body changing. Um, I feel like maybe it's just because she doesn't say certain things around me, but, um, I was talking to her the other day and she's like, I was listening to one of your episodes and I went to bed and I wasn't feeling great in my body. And then I woke up and I remembered something you said, and it just like made me feel so good about myself. And I was like, that's like what I want to (laughs) hear. so sweet. That's awesome. And one thing that really stuck out that you just said was how their generation like was so used to it. And I think it's true. Like, I mean, my mom was dropped off at Weight Watchers when she was 12, I think 12. Um, I mean, their, their generation was like, just get thin at all costs. Mm -hmm. And like, I think even if, you know, we had problems with food or an eating disorder, like it's still hard for our parents to not be like, good, like you should be thin or you should want to be thin. And so it's really hard to get someone who has been so brainwashed and wrapped into diet culture. And like, it's even taken, it's taken my family a while to buy into the stuff I talk about. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's wild, but the undoing, um, hopefully will benefit the the next generations. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's really like 
the biggest thing is like you just mentioned, like that undoing. Um, when I work with clients, I always talk about like rewiring our brains and like this process of like, we have to rewire our brains from this place that we used to be in. So for me, extreme, you know, dieting and this very diet culture, heavy mindset to now this place of body acceptance and confidence and really just loving and accepting and appreciating my body for what it is and what it does. And that truly does take an extreme rewiring of your brain. Um, And I think it's, so important for people to understand, like it doesn't happen overnight. And I'm sure your journey through all of this has taken what, how long have have you been working on all of this? How long have I? Yeah. I would say when I first started going to therapy is when I started asking myself questions. I feel like one of the, the first questions I got asked in therapy and like I had to realize was, you know, why do I have to achieve so much? Mm-hmm. You know, like all I knew was achieving, like being yeah. the best, the best at this, the best at that, getting this, getting that, like achieve, achieve, achieve. And my therapist, like that was one of the first sessions where she was like, why, like, what made you that way? Like why you don't have to achieve, like what, yeah. what happens if you don't achieve? And, you know, that was the first like sense of awareness. I think I gained on why I was the way that I was. I wasn't able to kind of think about it from that side yet. And so of course, like, and that's just a surface level part of being aware. And I've had like more revelations about the way I am and the way I used to be. And I think even now the biggest thing I always try to come back to is it's not ever about someone else. It's always about me. And so like, if there's someone that's frustrating me or someone I'm envious of, or someone who X, Y, Z, I'm like, what is coming up in me right now? Um, Because if I'm frustrated or I'm angry or I'm jealous or I'm whatever, that's a me problem most of the time. Um, And I, and I'm sure there's people thinking like, okay, well, what if someone's like rude to you? Um, You know, but then I would say, you know, if I'm getting angry back at them and taking it personally and being rude, like I'm not being conscious enough, conscious enough to recognize like what's coming up for me, recognize what must be happening in this human and then making a smarter decision about how I want to respond. And so that's like the level that my thinking is at now with pretty much all my relationships. <laughs> Yeah. Which can be exhausting. You know, I remember when ignorance was blessed. 1000%. I was actually having that conversation with a friend the other day. Um, and it was very similar to what you had just shared, but someone had said something um, like rude to her or something. And she reacted very negatively to it. And I remember having that conversation with her about like, you can completely change the way that you react to these things. Yeah. Um, and she was like, Oh my God, that takes so much mental brain work. (laughs) And I'm like, I know, but it's not only going to benefit one area of your life. It's going to benefit so many areas of your life. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And it's, it's hard, but it's worth it. 1000%. Yeah. I feel like my brain honestly never stops. (laughs) And like you said, I'm like, I remember when ignorance was bliss and I was just like, not thinking about some of the things that I'm thinking about now, but I'm very thankful to be thinking about the things that I'm thinking about now. 
Yeah. So Victoria, you are amazing on TikTok. You're amazing on Instagram. Your YouTube's amazing. Your podcast's amazing. I mean, you're pretty much everywhere. And I love your TikToks. I think that they're brilliant. I think that they're beautiful. I think that they're a combination of everything. Um, I'm curious, how has that, because TikTok hasn't been around that long. It's fairly new. Um, and we know that TikTok is a very different platform than, than Instagram, very different in terms of like the audience and the comments and the reactions to certain things. Um, how has your experience been with TikTok, um, in terms of like your mental health? Well, the first thing I'll say before I answer that is it's just, so the irony of hearing you compliment my platforms, like literally my morning has been, how do I make like my podcast better? How do I plan out the best guest list for the summer? And how do I have, make the conversations better? And I'm not a good interviewer. And I, so it's just funny. Like, I think we get in our own heads of, um, my whole morning has been, you know, talking with my team and thinking about like how I can level up because it's not good enough. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just that bring back down to earth of you're like, it's good. And I'm like, you know, because we're so hard on ourselves all the time. So first of all, thanks for the compliment. And I just wanted to add that in there because I think that happens a lot with people in life is, you know, you think something's not good enough and needs to be better, needs to be better. And then the rest of the world or your friends are like, I love this, or this is great, or you're doing awesome. So yeah, there's a hashtag real post moment right there. But, um, in terms of your question, um, I have loved TikTok. Um, I've had a good experience there. However, you know, I've heard that other people haven't, you know, people in more marginalized bodies and more oppressed bodies, people, you know, at the end of the day, while I've had my own experiences and those are valid, I'm not experiencing the external hate and discrimination. And I'll use the word again, oppression that other people might be facing who are spreading the same message. And so, you know, that's something that I always keep into account is are people listening to me just because I'm white and I'm straight sized, you know, and even if I'm preaching the same message as you, or I'm preaching the same message as someone else. And it's, you know, and then I feel weird because I'm like, gosh, like, you know, yeah, you know, is this, this isn't right. You know, this per this creator is amazing and they're saying amazing things and they're getting hate comments and they're getting their videos taken down and they're not getting followed. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just wild. So I think it has showed just how uh, much judgment and lack of acceptance still exists. Um, But, you know, I, to, to be honest, I have had personally a good experience, but I realize that comes with the privileges of my appearance. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate you so much for saying that because I think for a lot of people, that's a hard thing to admit. Um, I have been in that place where my account's been banned. I've been banned from going live. My video has been taken down because I'm literally existing in a bikini um, doing something that someone else does and trying to have those conversations with, you know, straight size creators and them being like, them kind of getting offended by me saying, maybe it's your body or maybe it's the way that you look that's allowing you to kind of have some of this success. And I think that's an important conversation to have. Um, and I'm so thankful that you are 
willing to be vulnerable and say that because I think for so many people, that's a hard thing to admit and to say. Um, but I do, I love your TikTok. I love everything that you're doing over there. Same with Instagram. Um, and so I think kind of to wrap things up, um, first of all, thank you so much for this amazing conversation. Um, I've loved that we've been able to talk about a variety of different things, but I would love to hear one tip, um, for those listening who may be athletes, who may be, you know, struggling with their mental health or maybe not athletes, but just individuals struggling with their mental health. What is one piece of advice that you have for listeners who may be in that place where they're either questioning their body or questioning their worth? Um, how, what advice do you have for them to kind of like work through that? This is a loaded question. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think about where to go with this um, so it can be helpful or comforting to whoever's listening. You know, I think that I'll go two ways with this. I think the first thing I'll say is however you're feeling good, bad, frustrated, excited, upset, just validate that mm-hmm. and just let that be how you feel today. You know, one of the best things my therapist ever said when she cut me off was, you know, I was like, I shouldn't be feeling this way because blah, blah, blah. And she was like, stop, you shouldn't be, you do feel this way. You do. Mm-hmm. So, so that's okay. And so I think yeah. no matter what you're feeling, just accept it. Let that be your emotion for today. It's okay to not be happy all the time. I mean, that's part of the human experience. So first of all, just validate whatever you're going through. And then the second thing I would say is just to please open up to someone and it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a psychologist or a counselor, you know, obviously that's ideal, but just a reminder that opening up to a friend, a sibling, a parent, someone you can trust and just saying, oh, I'm really struggling. I'm going through a hard time. Can we go grab lunch or can we go on a walk? You know, just letting someone know you're not great right now. And then leaning on them a little bit. Um, because to get it off your chest and just to know someone's in your corner goes a really, really long way. And, you know, you're not a burden and the people in your life who love you will want to help you and will feel touched that you even came to them and and opened up. So I think those would be two things I would say today. Yeah. I love those. And I agree so much with the opening up to someone. I think that's always the hardest thing is sharing how you're feeling for the first time. Um, but I remember the first time I ever did that. And the person I opened up to was like, like you said, thank you so much for feeling comfortable enough to tell me this. Um, and I think I remember specifically like that feeling like hundreds of pounds had been lifted off of my chest because I was like, I don't have to hide this anymore. And I can share this with, with someone. Um, so yeah, I think that's, those are both really great pieces of advice. Yay. Victoria, where can everyone find you? I can be found on Instagram at Victoria Garrick. And then my podcast is called Real Pod and can be streamed anywhere. And from both of those things, but mainly my Instagram, they will be able to find all that other jazz. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's always funny because I'm like, where can people find you? And people are like, here, 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 and here. And I'm like, great. I'll put it all in the show notes. Or yeah, they're like, like- Go here and you'll find everything else. <laughs> Just head to the link in my Instagram bio. And if it's not yeah. there, then you don't need to be wherever else. <laughs> you'll find everything there. 
Yes. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Victoria, for taking time out of your day to come talk to me and the PFWC podcast. I know that there's so many listeners who are going to relate to so much that you said. Um, I appreciate your vulnerability. I appreciate you just opening up and um, sharing your experience with a community that you're not really familiar with. And, um, so I really appreciate that. Um, and I really appreciate you keep doing what you're doing. You're doing amazing work. I'm so thankful to be in your realm and to have conversations with you. Um, because I think it's just so important that we, we have these conversations, we hold space for this. Thank you, Carly, for having me. And I love everything you're doing. And I know we've been connected on Instagram for a long time now. So it was great to talk to you, see your beautiful face. collaborate. Um, Thanks for thinking of me and inviting me into your special community. Of course. Thank you so much for being here.